Thank you, Ruth. Now, before we begin a story for you today, this story is about um, a minister, a new minister in the town, and he used to ride his bike around the streets. And as he rode his bike around the streets, he noticed there on the front footpath was a lawnmower with a sign for sale, and there was a young lad there. And he said, is that for sale? He said, yes, yes. He said, how much do you want for it? And the lad said, well, actually, I am selling the lawnmower because I want a bike. Could we do a swap? Why not? So the minister got the lawnmower, the boy got the bike. The minister wheeled it around the corner to, to the church manse and thought that he would test it out. So, um, puka puka puka, puka puka puka, puka puka puka, nothing's happening. Just then the lad rides past on the bike. He says, Hey son, when I bought this lawnmower, you told me that it worked. And the lad said, Well, my dad says you have to swear at it. <laughs> swear at it, said the minister. I can't swear at it. I'm a minister of the church. Plus, I've been a minister for so long, I've forgotten how to swear. And the boy said, just keep pulling, it'll come back to you. (laughs) Shall we pray? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realise what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do right. Lord God, we know this is the power of your written word. It speaks to our souls. The Holy Spirit takes that word and speaks to our souls and our faith grows and expands. So we pray we'll all grow in faith as we hear the word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to ask you many questions today, but I am going to ask you one to start off with. What is the name of Mary Shelley's famous science fiction story? Do I hear it? Frankenstein. You remember that? Written, believe it or not, she wrote it in 1816. And uh, I have never read the story myself, but we know Hollywood has, a, has had a field day with the movie Frankenstein. I mean, there was Frankenstein and there was Bride of Frankenstein and there was Son of Frankenstein. One of the famous black and white movies has Boris Karloff as Frankenstein's monster. From what I understand of the plot, he sends out Igor, the servant, to rob freshly buried bodies in graves and he brings back the body parts and Dr Frankenstein sews the body parts together and makes a man. And then when it's done, he... He hoists this man up during this electrical storm and lightning strikes the body with millions of volts and the body starts to live. And I remember the craze, Dr. Frankenstein saying, It lives! My creature lives! Well, science fiction. Why is it science fiction? Just fiction? Because, this is my treatise for today, Only God is the giver of life and there is no life without God. Not millions of electrical volts. Only God is the giver of life and there is no life without God. And today we focus on a message of the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. He was both a priest and a prophet. He was one of the exiles. Remember last time I spoke, we spoke about the exile. It happened in 586 B.C. The Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar came in and they defeated Judah 
Uh, they defeated Jerusalem. They sacked Jerusalem, knocked many of the walls down. They looted the temple. All of the riches of Solomon's temple were taken away. Many of the people were killed. Most of the people taken as captives back into Babylon. One of them was Ezekiel. And um, why did it happen? Because of the nation's sin, because of Judah's sin. And when we read the end of Second Chronicles and of Second Kings, we read about the deplorable state which the nation had got to. They had turned their back on God. They were worshipping idols. They even set up idols within the temple. Do you believe that? They put idols in God's temple and worshipped them. And worst of all, it tells us they even were offering their own children as sacrifices to these pagan idols. This is God's people, the chosen people. They turned their back on God and because of that, God said, I'm turning my back on you. And he removed his, his, his protective hand from the Hebrew people and from the promised land and said, well, if you don't want me, I'll move my protective hand, which left them vulnerable to the great nation of Babylonia. They came in and they defeated them. There's another great prophet of the Bible that was around the same time, and that is Jeremiah. He preached the people should, should, should repent of their sin before the, before the exile and then, then the exile happened. And um, as Ezekiel was taken away into exile, Jeremiah was left behind. He was left behind amongst the ruin of this sacked nation, amongst destroyed Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah wrote a book of lament. In the Bible, it's called the Book of Lamentations. And this is the first four verses of the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. Jerusalem, once full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of the earth, she is now a slave. She sobs through the night, tears stream down her cheeks. Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery, she lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down and she has nowhere to turn. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning. The crowds no longer come to celebrate festivals. The city gates are silent. Her priests groan. Her young women are crying. How bitter is her fate. Words of lament. Lament of a ransacked nation. Words, words of lament for the promised land and Israel, God's chosen people. How bitter is her fate? Maybe you can identify with Jeremiah's words. Maybe you've been through similar times of despair. Maybe you're going through such a time now. Times when life has thrown you to the floor and trampled on you. The future looks bleak. You see no light at the end of the tunnel. Things seem hopeless. Particularly find yourself asking the question, where is God in all this? Has God forgotten me? That's the way the Hebrew people felt. Most of us can identify with such times. When we can echo the words of Jeremiah, how bitter is my fate. There is no doubt that the Jews taken into captivity and those left behind among all of the desolation would have been filled with hopelessness. Our nation is finished. 
God has punished us because of our sin. The nation of Israel is no more and will never be again. God has forgotten us. How bitter is our fate. But into their situation of utter despair, God commanded Ezekiel the prophet to bring a message of hope. Amid the ashes of destruction, the message is, Israel, my people, will rise again. And we, when we find ourselves flattened by life, God doesn't abandon us. He is always with us. And God's spirit within us says, God will help us to rise again. Now this promise of hope was given to Ezekiel in the form of a very strange vision that we read about this morning. Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones. So in his mind's eye, in this vision, God gives him a vision of this valley filled with bones. And um, I'm thinking, you know, maybe it's the result of one of those battles of old. You know, when army used to verse army and there was absolute slaughter and there must have been hundreds, thousands of bodies left lying. And this is one of those scenes. The bodies have rotted away and now it's just skeletons. He has this vision of um, these skeletons once once a vast army. And the meaning of the vision is, in today's reading from Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 11, it says, Then God said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of, of Israel. And they are saying, We have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. So the dry bones are a metaphor for the Hebrew people. Conquered, scattered, and in exile, the nation was just like dry bones. No hope of life. And in his vision, God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Which is implied, can your scattered and defeated nation rise again? Ezekiel's answer was, Sovereign Lord, only you know. Only you know, God, this is in your hands. No human could make our nation rise again. If we're going to rise again, Lord, it is in your hands. Only you will know because only God is the giver of life and there is no life without God. So how were these dry bones going to put on flesh and live again? Well, not by a million volts by this electrical storm, not by mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, not by CPR. They were going to live again because God commanded Ezekiel to preach to speak a word, to prophesy to these dry bones. Prophesy, speak over them a word of hope. And that's what he does. And then there's this rattling of bones and the skeletons come together and he sees um, tendons and muscles form on these bones and skin and they become bodies, they become human bodies again, but with no life bit like Frankenstein's monster. All the body parts are put together, but there's no life. How are they going to live? It tells us in verse 9 of what we read today from Ezekiel 37. Then God said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath. From the four winds, breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. And so I spoke the message as I was commanded and breath came into their bodies and they all came to life and they stood on their feet and it was a great army. The breath of God gave life 
to the lifeless bodies. The breath of God. Sound familiar? What about we go back to the very beginning of time? Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 tells us, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being when God breathed into the first man. For only God is the giver of life. There is no life without God. Have you been present at a birth? Mothers here, were you present at your birth? Fathers, were you present? I was speaking to Graham. He said, I wasn't present for the birth of my first, of, of my daughter, but eight years later, in the late 60s, he could be there. It seems as though around the late 60s. Dean, did you, were you present? No, just a bit. You know, from the late 60s onwards, Australia changed and, and men, fathers, were allowed to be at the birth. Maureen and I have had the greatest privilege because our daughter Kelly, the one who lives in Maitland, wanted us to be present at the birth of her three children. So we were present at the birth of our three grandchildren. What, what a privilege it was for us. And isn't birth a miracle? Because up until the point of birth, the baby has never breathed. Talk about the miracle of God. There's this thing called called the placenta, and the placenta gives oxygen and nutrient to the baby from the mother's bloodstream into its own bloodstream without the bloodstreams ever mixing. What about that? It is an absolute miracle. Evolution says it all happened by chance. No way. Only God is the giver of life. God formed the placenta. God made birth possible. Anyway, up until then, the baby receives oxygen through the placenta, but then it's born... (gasps) And suddenly they can breathe. They take over themselves. It's just a miracle. How anybody can ever witness the birth of a baby and say there is no God. But sadly, there's those who do. It's the breath of God. God gives breath. There is no, God is the giver of life. There is no life without God. And so this is all a vision that Ezekiel has of these bodies receiving breath and coming to life. And at the end of his vision, in Ezekiel 37 and following, verse 12, um, it says, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, O my people, you'll know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit on in you and you will live again and return home to your own land and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. These final verses of Ezekiel's vision show us the link between God's breath and God's spirit. For the Holy Spirit of God can be described as the breath of God. There is, God is the giver of life. There is no life without God and there is no spiritual life without the breath of the Holy Spirit. The breath of the Holy Spirit. And how did these lifeless bodies receive this breath? Because Ezekiel spoke over them. It wasn't through a million volts. 
No, it was through he spoke the word of God over these bodies which had formed and as he spoke the word of God, then the breath of God's spirit entered them and they became living again. The word of God. So for a moment I want to talk about what is the word of God? What is the word of God? Some people might say, is the word of God? It's the words of Scripture, the text, the Scripture. I'd say, yes, you're right. That is the Word of God. Someone else might say, but hey, hang on. I believe the Word of God is the preached Word of the Gospel, the Word of salvation. Yes, that's also the Word of God. Someone else might, might I'd say, but hang on. The Word of God is actually Jesus Christ. Because at the beginning of John's Gospel, it tells us in the beginning was the Word, the the Word was God, the Word was with God. And down in verse 14, it tells us, and the Word became a human being and lived amongst us. Speaking about Jesus, he is the Word of God. Yes, wait a minute, you're saying the the words of the Bible are the Word of God, yes. The, The Gospel of salvation, that's the Word of God, yes. Jesus Christ, he's the Word of God, yes. To me, it's all the Word of God and they're all related to each other. You see, the words of Scripture tell us about the message, the Word of salvation. How in the Old Testament, trying to follow the law, trying to please God by works just just didn't work. The people always failed. And so we needed to be saved from our sin. That was the Old Covenant, obedience to the law. The New Covenant, a gift of grace. Our sins are forgiven because of Jesus. So the scriptures tell us that message of, of salvation. And, um, and then, of course, it all points to Jesus Christ as the great saviour. So, yes, the word of God is the written word and it's the gospel word and it's Jesus Christ, the word. That's all the word of God. So only God is the giver of life. There is no life without God. There is no spiritual life without the breath of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives spiritual life, breath, through the Word of God. Without Jesus in our lives, our souls are dead because of sin. Spiritual death. But Jesus died for our sins upon the cross. When we have faith in him, our sins are forgiven and our dead souls are given life through the Holy Spirit. In the little book of Titus in the New Testament that Paul wrote, Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He saved us not because of the righteous things he had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. New birth and new life comes through the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter who we are. Doesn't matter what we've done in our past. Doesn't matter if we're haunted by guilt and shame about the things that we've done. Jesus can breathe life into our dead souls and forgive us our sin. And we can live in the Spirit again. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation, a new living being. The old life is gone, the new has become, has begun. How are you feeling about your faith at the moment? 
If I drew a scale and said on one end of the scale is alive in the spirit like a firebrand and the other end of the scale is dead dry bones, where's your faith? Are you feeling, you know, alive? Oh, yeah, wow, I feel a dynamic power of the spirit. Or are you feeling, well, maybe I'm a bit more like the dry bones? I know my faith could, could be more lively. It needs more life. I'm down the dry bones end. How do we get from one to the other? I'll tell you the answer how, friends. Remember I said the word of God is the written word and it's the gospel word and it's Jesus Christ the word. Begin with the written word. Begin with the written word. You see, sometimes we think, wow, when I'm feeling really alive in my spirit, when I'm feeling really close to God, then I'm going to read the Bible more. Uh Uh-uh. It works the opposite way. Read the Bible more. Begin with the written word. And as you do that, then you'll encounter the gospel word of salvation and you'll encounter in you Jesus Christ of the word and you'll start to live in the spirit. I have seen it before. I've seen people who have just decided, oh yeah, all right, I'm going to study the word more. I'm going to read the word more. And I've seen that growth happen. If you don't know how to start, start with the Gospel of Mark, the shortest gospel. Just start reading the Gospel of Mark again. Begin with the written word and you'll see you start to move from dry bones into life. I can give testimony about this myself. When I was 22 years of age, I was a Christian and I was a basketball player. Back in my day, you could be 5 foot 10 and still play basketball, okay? That's... Now you've got to be six foot six or more. Anyway, I was a basketball player. I had the opportunity to go on Venture for Victory basketball team. Ever heard of it? Okay, a Christian witness program. Christian basketballers would go to the Philippines and there play basketball against all these little villages and places. We went to one place, a little village, and 5,000 people came to the game. They crowded around the basketball court. It was like a figure eight as they came in to watch the game, you brought the ball down, they had to part to let you go through. Amazing. And at halftime, during the basketball game, one of the players would give their personal testimony about what Jesus meant to them. We'd sing a song in the people's language, Tagalog, and then after the game, we'd hang around and give out Bible courses, which were followed up by the local churches. Venture for victory. I've been on the third Australian team it's maybe stopped now, but that's what used to happen. So I was a Christian, and I knew that part of this program was I would need to give my personal testimony during the half-time break. What was I going to say? Oh, I wished I'd been a drug addict, and I'd been a drunk, and I found a conversion of Jesus and changed my life, but I was baptised when I was 11 years of age. I had grown up at the Brighton Church. I just loved the Lord from a young age, I didn't have a transformation as such to speak about. What was I going to say? I began with the written word. I began to read the written word more and pray more. And as I did that, something happened. The Holy Spirit sort of started to work. And I encountered the gospel message again. And I encountered the living Jesus again. And I had this most incredible experience of the filling of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, like he promised, the breath of God coming into my life and lifted my life. And I went away on that trip 
And I had a testimony that I could speak about how much Jesus meant to me. And not only did he give me a testimony, but that experience was my calling into ministry. So that was in January 1978. I came back from that trip, went straight to the College of the Bible, began my ministry training. So the beginning with the written word ended up this dynamic thing of the Spirit that even called me to give my life to be a minister. Begin with the written word. That's how we bring spiritual life into our lives and that's how we have spiritual life within our church. I'm so pleased that this church is a church of the written word, that when we preach, we preach from the written word. Nate, every time, preaches from the written word. And as we preach from the written word, we encounter the gospel anew, the word of the gospel. And then, of course, Jesus-centred, Jesus, the living word, then speaks to us through the written word. This is a church of the written word, and I hope it always is. For friends, that's where the life is. We're going to have a minute silence just to reflect. Where am I on that scale between the dead, dry bones and the alive in the spirit? Is God convicting, convicting me about something today? A minute silence and then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit and I pray he's been speaking to us today. All of us have the seasons of the soul. Sometimes we're feeling, oh, so alive and other times, well, closer to the dry bones. Lord, we know you want to refresh us in your spirit and the way you refresh us is through the written, written word of your scriptures and I pray you'll give us all a motivation to open up our Bibles and just to absorb the words of Scripture and as we do, hear the message of salvation again, how our souls are saved because of our wonderful Saviour, Jesus Christ, the living Word. Lord, reveal to our church and reveal to all of us Jesus Christ, the living Word, who comes to us through the written Word. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.